The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Engaging conversation with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Breaking news with Eileen Bell and sports with Morley Scott. This is the Afternoon News on 630 Chad, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. Well, as we continue to recap the federal budget uh, tabled uh, just about an hour and some ago by Finance Minister Bill Morneau, women's science and uh, conservation among the major themes of this uh, Liberal government's latest federal budget. Finance Minister Bill Morneau unveiled the document titled Equality and Growth in the House of Commons this afternoon. Morneau saying the government will continue to ensure Canada remains a great place to invest and do business. And we'll do this in a responsible way, carefully letting evidence and not emotion guide our decisions. At the same time, we need to stay focused on our long-term goal of building an economy that works for everyone. Now, the budget projects an $18.1 billion deficit for the coming fiscal year with no plan to balance the books. The Liberals also have appointed a group advisor uh, to explore a national pharmacare program to cover prescription drugs. And on that note, let's bring in Mount Royal political science professor Dwayne Bratt. Hey, Dwayne, how are you? Hey, going very well. Good to hear your voice again. Always uh, feel great when you're on the show because I feel like I'm in safe hands. <laughs> Maybe we could break this down a little bit uh, by the uh, what was there, what was supposed to be there, and what wasn't there. So I guess no surprise that the uh, Liberals uh, did something with paternity leave. Well, they had targeted this, that this was going to be the gender equality uh, budget. Um, Justin Trudeau is a self-proclaimed feminist. He talked about uh, gender equality when he established his first cabinet. And here we have a budget um, that was proclaimed on that area. And and I think it it met that standard in a number of respects. They used gender-based analysis tools, which have been uh, developed uh, largely in the social sciences, and they applied it uh, to numerous programs. And that led to a whole series of initiatives. Now, some are very small ball, but I think when we look at it as a whole, I think it was it was clearly directed at, at improving gender equality in in this country. And the the issue of uh, parental leave and maternity leave for MPs, I think, is a very inexperienced, uh, inexpensive item, but hugely symbolic. Yeah, I'm interested in this paternity leave. It's one of those things you don't really think about much until somebody you know has to go on maternity or paternity leave. And I want to fully understand it. So the way it was before, they had taken a what a 12-week period and extended it. You had the option to extend it to 18, but you would take that money that was designated over 12 and divide it over 18 instead. So you got less money, basically. Yeah. But this addresses parents uh, on of both genders now so is well, it no there, there's there's two separate issues okay. one is the the uh, the additional parental leave for all Canadians if both parents take the leave at the at the same time and it's this use it or lose it provision for five extra weeks what i was referring to was maternity leave for parliamentarians Oh, well, tell me about that, because that's yeah. new so, on my radar. Yeah, and this is something that we, 
uh, we normally haven't talked about. Um, and it's only been in the last year or two that Alberta introduced it because we had not one, not two, <laughs> but three uh, members of the legislature uh, all give birth, uh, all in the cabinet. Um, and what do you do in that situation? The city council here in Calgary just uh, debated looking at that, those benefits uh, for city councillors, and now they're going to do something along the lines of, of MPs because they're having their first cabinet minister are also uh, giving birth. So these are things that weren't really thought of uh, because there weren't that many women of that age um, in in the legislature, and now it is. So it only affects a handful of people across the entire country, but it has a huge symbolic value, I think, um, that tells um, um, girls and women that they can go into politics. That's interesting, and that relates back to what you mentioned a moment ago about really taking a close look, examining uh, gender equality, and I know that this budget was uh, billed as being one that would lessen that gap in a number of areas, so that's, I see what you're saying, it's a small, it's, it's, I don't want to call it insignificant, but it's, it's more of a, I don't know what to call it, a moral victory? Uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. not an expensive item. Um, it doesn't hit a whole lot of people, but it, it has a great symbolic value. Uh, I think some of the more significant ones is on pay equity legislation for all federally regulated sectors. And that's and, the one, you know, Dwayne, I wanted to talk to you about that specifically next, because here's my question, and listen, you and I have spoken many times before, I'm a pretty average guy, so I ask fairly yeah. average questions, but when I see that the federal government wants to lessen that gap, that wage gap, and they're going to do so in federally controlled the businesses and in the, and in federal departments, you know the question that comes to my mind is, well, what took you so long? Yeah, well, we already have legislation around equal pay for equal work. The, the issue here is equal pay for work of equal value. And so how do you balance... Um, you know, the, the, the pay grade for, let's say, a janitor, which tends to be male-dominated, versus a admin assistant, which is uh, traditionally female-dominated, uh, how, uh, how do you come to those same responsibilities? Uh, so I think this is what they're trying to, to get at. And there have been, you know, economists and, and other social scientists who have spent time trying to come up with formulas, but it's interesting that the government is finding acting now, but I think your question's a relevant one. Why, why now and not 1993? Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, speaking of why now, and this is uh, <laughs> thinking ahead as opposed to uh, thinking back, uh, this pharmacare, uh, i got to be honest with you, Dwayne, uh, it had not crossed my desk until this morning. I, I, I don't know if I wasn't reading enough of my emails or, but you know, suddenly we're talking uh, pharmacare and it seems to me that this is laying the framework for a really important, probably a centerpiece in a 2019 election. Except we've been here before. So this was the centerpiece of a budget in the late 1990s uh, of the Kretschmann government. Um, <laughs> it never happened. 
you know, they, they promised it and, and it never happened. And the issue of drug prices is, is absolutely important. So we talk about, you know, public health care. Uh, public health care doesn't cover everything, and, and drugs are, are one of them. And so some people have very good benefit packages uh, through work, or they pay for, for benefits packages. Others don't. And they've got to make their choice between, you know, their diabetes drug or their rent. Um, children's clothes uh, versus other uh, medicines. And, you know, because some of these things could add up very, very quickly. And lots of other industrialized countries have this as part of their national health care. Canada does not. Um, and so we, we've talked about getting prescription drug prices down, uh, but some have suggested that the way to do that is through some sort of pharmacare program, but it would be very expensive to, to implement. Interesting, because, of course, there was no money set aside for this today. It yeah. was simply setting the groundwork for, uh, you know, a task force to take a look at it, which and, means... And that's why I'm urging caution here, yeah. because we've been down this road before. And, and that's what I'm thinking. I mean, that's my gut reaction to it is, okay, let me see if I got this right, because I'm just, you know, on a calendar knocking off the days here. So we take a year or more to analyze it. Suddenly we're in an election where it's a critical part, probably, of the liberal platform moving forward. But we could easily be talking four or five years. We could be talking the next term before something like this could even come to fruition. (laughs) Yeah, and then what happens if there's an economic downturn um, uh, nationwide and they say, well, at this moment we can't afford it, we're going to do it sometime later. And then later never comes. Exactly. Uh, you know, speaking of paying the bills, I have to do that. Dwayne, would it be okay for me to put you on hold for a couple of minutes, run a couple of commercials? Because I want to talk to you about the deficit as well. Yes, that's an important one. Excellent. Let's do that. Before the break, we were talking with uh, Dwayne Bratt, a Mount Royal political science a professor, joins us on the phone again now. Uh, thanks for waiting, uh, Dwayne. Really appreciate it. So before the break, I uh, mentioned the uh, deficit. And now this is an interesting one, as you mentioned as well, a big one, because the Liberals did run on a campaign in 2015 of promising to keep the annual deficit below $10 billion and of balancing the budget. They certainly did not do that, did they? No, and and the the irony when they when they campaigned is back in 2015 election campaign, both the conservatives um, and the NDP actually campaigned on running a balanced budget, and then out of nowhere came Justin Trudeau and he says, actually, we're going to run a 10 billion dollar deficit, and this was seen at the time as just major political suicide. But I think he read the mood of the people at the time to say, you know, maybe deficits uh, in this situation don't matter as much as we think they do. He wins re-election, or wins election, um, and instead of producing a $10 billion deficit, produces a $30 billion deficit, and nobody blinks. Um, my, my calculation uh, over the three budgets, we're looking at an additional 40 to $50 billion that he hadn't been budgeted on. And so the question that I have is, do deficits matter? They certainly did in the 1990s uh, when elections were fought um, uh, on deficit uh, reduction, uh, both nationwide and, and here in Alberta. But now we're seeing both provincial and federal governments running up deficits again um, without 
much uh, pushback from the Canadian public. And do you know why I think that is, Dwayne, and I've said this all along, both provincially and federally when it comes to deficits, is that I think most Canadians, frankly, would rather see their government in debt than their home. Yeah. They're, they're just more comfortable with that because it's hard to even put your head around a figure like $30 billion in... Yeah, the, the number is, is so high. And I will say our, our debt-to-GDP ratio remains quite low. Um, stunningly low compared to our neighbors to the south. Um, and it's almost like if, it, if it's not a crisis, um, then we don't seem to care as much. And forget about the deficit. I mean, the debt, we're looking at $500 billion. Mm-hmm. Do you know what $500 billion looks like? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> no, no, nor do I. But that's, you know, I'm glad you brought up the debt to, to uh, GDP because this is a term that sort of, I don't want to call it a spin per se, but it's it's a shifting of gears. It's like, yes, we said it would never exceed $10 billion, but now we're going to judge it differently. We're going to judge it in terms of debt to GDP, which has, uh, it's more palatable. It's all about your capacity to pay, right? So is a uh, $100,000 mortgage uh, excessive? It depends on how much you're making. Mm. Um, you know, um, lots of Canadians would have a $100,000 mortgage, and, and that's not a problem. Um, if it became a million-dollar mortgage, you know, then that's a different story. And the other is around interest rates. One of the reasons that the debt became so important in the 1990s is interest rates were so much higher. When interest rates are as low as they are, um, you know, it, it doesn't hurt as much. The interest payments aren't as heavy. Yeah, it's interesting, right? I mean, like I say, if you ask an individual what their debt is, they often forget to consider what their biggest debt is, their mortgage. Yeah, You know, because it's just how we think. I mean, can you pay the rent? Can you buy groceries? Can you go on a vacation? You don't think about that one big debt because you don't see yourself really ever paying it off. Um, I, I guess I shouldn't say ever paying it off. But I yeah. think that's how we tend to view government is that, well, as long as we can service the debt, it really doesn't matter. It's sort of like keeping a monster in a cage. Yeah, and, and it's not like an individual where you're getting older and you need to have that, that house paid off. Um, in the case of a, a, a country, it never really gets older. It's always in its you know prime earning years, as it were. Do you know, we're almost out of time, and I really wanted to ask you about this. I've got less than a minute. Uh, I've almost avoided asking anyone else, but the budget also expected to devote $50 million over five years to support local journalism in underserved communities. I wonder what just your reaction was to that. My fear just on the surface is that, you know, Whoever pays the piper gets to call the tune. Yeah, this came out of a public policy forum uh, document that was released uh, about a year ago. And it's not aimed, unfortunately for you guys, large radio stations in big cities. It's aimed at small-town newspapers. The idea being just to to allow them to survive. Yeah, exactly. Because you're starting to see not just towns, but small cities where there's no local news at all. And that's where I think the problem is. Excellent stuff. As always, uh, Duane, I wish we had more time to talk. You're a great guest. I appreciate the time you took with me this afternoon. Thank you so much. Okay, we'll chat later. You betcha. That's Dwayne Bratt, Mount Royal Political Science Professor. Always a pleasure to have him on the show. We'll check on your news headlines, and when we come back, we'll get into the news wheel. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.